he asked me, what are you doing here? What's your deal? And I told him I was super proud because I had 12 corporate stores. I'm the founder and all the things I've been telling you in this interview, I told him and I was sort of bragging. And so I said, so who are you, Mr. Fred? And Fred says, well, I'm the founder and CEO of this little company called Subway. Brian Miller here, and welcome back to One New Person, the show where we take a closer look at chance encounters to remind ourselves that every interaction is meaningful and every person we meet is important. Today's guest is Ron Holt, the founder and CEO of Two Maids and a Mop, a cleaning franchise named America's fastest growing cleaning company by Inc.com. Ron and I met via two mutual friends, both of whom have been guests on this season of the podcast business legend Seth Godin, and leadership author Tim David. This conversation is more business-oriented than most episodes, but just as inspiring. Ron gives us a detailed look at what it takes to build an empire at any level, locally to nationally. He delivers an endless stream of advice for getting your mindset right for success, including a discussion of passion, pivoting, sacrifice, leadership, and how to communicate a shared vision. And in one of my favorite conversational turns, we chat about why having mentors and being a mentor is so crucial, how to get one if you don't, and how to be one if you're not. So if you're even a little curious about going into business for yourself one day or turning up the notch in your current endeavor, grab a pen and take some notes. Now let's build an empire with Ron Holt. Ron, thank you so much for being here with me today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. Brian, I'm, I'm glad to be here. In fact, I'm honored to be here. and I, I can't wait to share my story with you guys. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm excited. So before we get to uh, the, the big story, because I know everybody comes on like ready and excited to tell their their story in particular. Um, let's let's start here. These days, if you're at a cocktail party or a social gathering, you were just introduced to a mutual friend and someone asks you, what do you do? What's your answer these days? I help people build empires. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's that's truly what I, I tell people on a regular basis, and um, it's what I've been telling people for more than a decade now. We're, we're trying to build our own residential cleaning empire, not just here in the southeastern U.S., but all across the country. Man, I, I got to tell you, I have asked so many people that over the years. I've asked so many guests on this podcast that I ask I ask that question like almost every day in my life. You know, I say. Uh, you know, how do you answer that question? Because I always feel like it gives me a real insight into where someone's at in their head right now. You probably had the fastest, smoothest, most perfect answer <laughs> anybody has ever had. You help people build empires. What What's an empire to you? What is yeah, that? So an empire can really be what you make it. And so one of the things that we do here as a franchise organization, which we'll, we'll talk about more about later is uh, partner with folks who want to use our business model to create success, both in terms of a healthy bottom line, but also in, in terms of a healthy work-life balance. And, and so we, we're kind of a, a dream weaver, if you want to call it that, in that our business model is meant to solve a problem in someone's life and to, to make life better down the road. And so sometimes that means building an empire within one zip code. Uh, sometimes that means just totally taking over an entire region of uh, of, a, of our country, you know, in terms of the the business. So, we we don't really limit uh, or define empires. We want people to sort of define that for us, and then we help them figure it out. 
That's great. I, I love that you immediately addressed the fact that an empire doesn't have to be a global enterprise, that you can be an empire within uh, within a community. Do you, do you have some... Do you have any examples of that or or something to get us thinking about like how how would it what would it look like to build an empire within your community? I think it's important for people to get a sense of how um small local day-to-day things can still be huge impact. You, you bet. So yeah, there's there's a couple that really come to mind and so um you know here at Two Maids in a Mob, we we clean homes obviously and that's what it probably sounds like uh, from on the surface, but it, it, it's much deeper than that. We're we're a real business, uh, the heart and soul of it is, and there's a there's a real true and tried tried and true way to, to to build that out. And so, some people want to literally be an owner operator within their their community, and that's that satisfies their soul. And others want to um, you know build the business and more of in terms of an investment portfolio. And so, two people really kind of come to mind. Uh, the the true empire builder, the biggest empire builder we have in our franchise network, uh, owns multiple stores. He has five different stores um, in the southeastern part of the U.S., both in, in the state of Tennessee and, and Kentucky. And, um, you know, he's very hands off. There's five to ten hours of week uh, of work a week that he invests in his business. And that's what he calls uh, utopia. You know, he's he's making money, but he's at the same time has two you know really cute kids, and he's able to spend time with with those. And he and his wife are able, able to travel, and uh, all of that is a direct result of the success with the five stores that he that he has open right now. And on the flip side, we we have another individual down in Florida who um, really loves the day to day nuances of of our business and just eats and sleeps the the. The challenges of it, and that he just loves solving problems, and he doesn't want to be detached from it. His his um, his utopia is is really just getting his hands dirty on a regular basis, and so he's dominating his local market uh, down in down in Florida, and plans to do that forever. And he recently told me that he doesn't want to get on the boat and go fishing in the afternoon. He he wants to stay inside that office and um, and use his brain in a way that's uh, that's fun to him. And so everybody's got different ideas of what their dream is in life. And, uh, we, we, we kind of help people find that we, if you want to build an empire across an entire state, um, you know, we're, we're game for that. We're at a, we're at a really unique place in, in time right now where we have the opportunity for development where, you, where that dream can happen. Um, uh, but if you, again, want to just focus on your local community, we have people in more urban areas, uh, you know, in New England and in the New York area where they're literally just focused on one zip code. And that zip code may have uh, a couple hundred thousand homes within it. But uh, for them, that's that's all they really want and expect out of the deal, out of the business. So maybe we should back up for a second, because I think a lot of folks um, listening and, and probably myself included are not intimately familiar with what franchising or, 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 or a franchisee, what, what that organization looks like. So maybe you can back us up and really explain, you know, what is Two Maids in a Mop and, you know, what does it look like from your end of being the the owner, the the founder, the CEO of, of a franchising organization? And what would it look like to be, you know, to be someone on the other side who becomes one of your franchisees like I'm, I'm guessing most people the closest they can think of is the movie the founder from a few years right ago. right right and and i guess i'm i'm kind of curious how much does it line up with that did you watch that the way that uh, you know magicians watch like the now you see me movies and just roll our eyes you know i, I absolutely did watch that 
that. Um, and there are some really bizarre similarities between the story that we're building and undergoing and the same thing that Ray Kroc under, underwent. Now he, he had some unique challenges in that he had other people who owned the business that he was sort of you know, trying to, to sell that business model outside of something he created. And that's not how it kind of went down here. But there's definitely a lot of similarities, and I'll talk about those here in a minute. Um, it's probably easiest to kind of go back and talk about our story, and that'll that'll give, give you a chance to learn more about why we're a franchisor and, and why franchising is something that we're pretty excited about. So first and yeah, foremost, when, as the founder, I opened the first store. Like I literally cleaned the first homes. And our first day of opening uh, down in, in Pensacola, Florida, we cleaned two homes. We earned a grand total of $110 in revenue that first day. It was not the most glamorous grand opening, <laughs> but but for me, it was a, a, a amazing day. I mean, it was the pinnacle of a, a long journey just to get to that place, to be honest with you. So um, we we had always, I had always looked at that original store as sort of an incubator of sorts. And the plan from literally day one was to, to scale, to grow and to create this nationwide brand. And um, my initial thought was to grow via just corporate stores, just open our own stores, one store at a time, using cash flow, positive cash flow to fund it. And that's what we did. We did that for um, almost 10 years, and we opened eventually 12 corporate stores across five different southeastern-based uh, states. And um, from the outside looking in, things were really going well. Things should have been um, – I should have been happy. But my own empire is is – bigger was bigger than those 12 stores and i knew that we would only gonna we were while we were growing anywhere from one to two new stores a year that just wasn't enough you know i'm that ultimate entrepreneur that um either you love or you hate and i uh, i just needed i needed to satisfy my own soul and so growth was just not happening fast enough and on top of that i was um i was sort of on an island and i i really felt like i needed i, I was the smartest guy in the room and that's not a position I really wanted to be in. And so I stumbled into this world of franchising. I had no idea what it meant other than we all know McDonald's and Subway. And, you know, we, we think of that when we think of franchising. Um, and that's what I thought. I thought you had to be sort of first to market. I thought you had to be really different and unique and just this game changer. And what I learned is while we do have a lot of things that we're proud of that are game changing, uh, most franchise concepts are very cookie cutter in nature. And that's, that's both good and bad. And so it the, the good is that it, it allowed for me to at least entertain the idea that we also could become a franchise concept as well. And what I later learned is that not only was it something that would allow us to grow faster, the biggest advantage that we have now with franchising is it allows us to partner with people just like me, other fellow entrepreneurs who want to, again, build their own empire. And uh, that really satisfied or, or solved a big problem for me because, like I said, I was this smartest guy in the room at all times, and it wasn't a comfortable position for me. So uh, now, um, whenever we open a new store in whatever city, we have a business partner. That's not an employee. I'm not hiring someone in Charlotte, North Carolina to open a store any longer. I'm partnering with someone in Charlotte to think uh, alongside me uh, of new and different ways to build that business, and we're having mutual success because of that. And so it's a true team now, and we've we've got so many different smart people that are part of it that are just as energetic energetic as me, and in fact a lot or even more energetic than me that just really blow me away with some of the the amount of work they put towards the to their to their business. 
You brought up that word partner and the that the way that you spoke about that the first time you and I ever ever met and had a conversation uh, it, it was that aspect that made me you know want to have you know have this conversation with you bring you on the show I thought it would be a good fit speak to me a little bit more about that what is it that makes you feel like you know they're partners instead of employees and and that sort of thing yeah so we had at the height of our corporate growth we had uh, close to two hundred employees. I, I believe at the time, I've, I can't fact check this, but I believe that we were, if not the largest, one of the largest cleaning services in the country. Um, because, you know, how many other cleaning companies have 200 employees and we were all this one <laughs> big entity. And and so we, that sounds great, right? And like it's an entrepreneur's dream come true. But we also, that also means I had 200 people who were looking to me for direction. And that, um, that was not, something that for me was what I, how I wanted to succeed. I wanted people to come to me with ideas. I wanted external thinkers. I wanted people to think outside the box. I wanted people to pivot before pivoting was cool. Uh, I wanted to be a true disruptor in our industry. And I couldn't do that with, with people who just worked for me. And so franchising really allowed for me to find people that wanted to take over the world in the same manner that I do. And so now uh, when I talk to someone and when I talk to our franchisees every single day, I'm still I'm in my office today and I'll be in it tomorrow and I will be 10 years from now. And when I'm here, um, you know, I, I make decisions. But at the same time, I'm on the phone and I'm talking to our franchisees and we're figuring out ways to attack the day. And so every market is different. Every franchisee is different. We have some introverts. We have some extroverts. Um, and we have markets that are urban and suburban, you know, and so there's all sorts of new and different ways to just seize that moment and, and disrupt that local market. And that's what we get to talk about every day. And so no one calls me and says, what should I do right now? Um, or, or that's outside my job description, Ron. No one has that conversation with me any longer. Now, when we talk, it's all about what what can we do? What can we test? What can we experiment with? What's, what's a new way to generate a lead or convert a lead. And, and those are conversations to, for me that uh, are exciting and it, and it um, fulfills me. And that's ultimately what I've always wanted. I've, I think everybody's got this idea that you need money to pay bills and eat and all that good stuff. But for me, it's, it's really, that's been secondary. And this may sound very dreamlike, but it's true. I've always really felt that if I could find something that satisfied my soul and, fulfilled, you know, my heart, that money would follow, maybe not immediately, but money would follow. And it, it took a while, it took us several years to figure that way out how to make money. But that's where I am today. I'm living, you know, a dream, not, not because of money, but because I'm, I'm happy. And every day is fun for me now. And I believe the same thing could be said for our franchise owners. You said something uh, just a little while ago, and you, you were on such a good flow, I didn't want to, I didn't want to jump in. Um, I'd like to back up for a second, though, because you, you said, uh, you encourage your partners uh, to pivot. Uh, you were encouraging them to pivot before pivoting was cool, uh, <laughs> which which is a funny way of thinking about it. Uh, the second episode of this season with uh, celebrity YouTubers, JP and Julia, they run this really, um, really successful YouTube comedy cooking channel. And I asked JP uh, towards the end of that episode, you know, what advice would you have to young folks who may be looking to build a business, you know, find their way in the digital world and, you know, kind of head on into their careers. And he said, pivot, don't be afraid to pivot. 
why is that willingness to pivot so important? Why, why have you seen it's been uh, so important to you? And, and what kind of pivots have you made over the years? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So again, for me, this is all very personal because pivoting to me, uh, that wasn't a buzzword. <laughs> this dates me, but we go back more than 16 years and we've, we've pivoted. We called it changed um, a lot over, over the years. And part of that was because we were forced to, we just didn't have the same capital or resources as most of our competitors. Um, but the other part of the reason is because it's it it's fun for me. I I can't do the same thing every day. I'll 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 drive my coworkers crazy, my family crazy, myself crazy. Um, so I need I need there to be change in my life to again satisfy my soul. And so it's a very personal thing that 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 uh, works for me. But it's also worked for the business. And I'll give you a really great example. So um, th- this also is, go- is going to really date me. And so don't 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 judge here. But I no um, <laughs> many, many years ago, before we ever opened or just after we had opened the very first um, cleaning service down in Pensacola, I just didn't really know what I was doing, would be quite honest with you. And so I said to myself, I need to learn what others are doing. And so I, I, there's an interstate going through Pensacola called I-10 that literally connects Jacksonville, Florida to San Diego. It, it spans the country. And so I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to hit I-10. And I'm going to go west and I'm going to end up wherever I'm going to end up. But along the way, I'm going to step into other cleaning business uh, owners' offices. And I'm just going to observe and document and interview those folks. And um, this is where the dating comes into. I Instead of Googling, I pulled into area um, hotels, pulled out the yellow pages and looked to see who had the largest ad. And I called them and I said, hey, I'm in town. I'm from Pensacola, Florida. You're in San Antonio. Can I hang out? And they said, of course. Who are you? I don't, I'm not a competitor. <laughs> and so one after the other, I just sort of formed this uh, new operating model based on what was happening for these other guys with these big yellow page ads. And so <laughs> one thing beyond the yellow page ad that I all, all, all saw they were doing was was this offline marketing, you know, from the yellow page ad itself to direct mail to newspaper ads and radio ads and all these things that uh, still work today, but, you know, really worked w- way back in those days. And that's exactly what I did. So very cookie cutter store, sort of style approach. And it took me a couple, two or three years before it dawned on me that if we were going to be the big guy, if we were going to own this market and be the, 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 the czar of residential cleaning, we weren't going to do it by outspending anyone because we had less money than our competitors. So I needed to do something different operationally. And, and if I was going to follow the same rules, there was zero chance that I was, I was going to be that king. So we took a, uh, a real shot, which doesn't seem like that risky of one right now, but we decided to focus all of our marketing dollars on nothing but digital. So everything, you know, from pay-per-click to social media and, and search what, what year was this? When were you doing this? This was in the late, to mid to late 2000s, um, okay. which maybe doesn't seem that far back, but it, digital well, marketing. It, it was like two revolutions ago. Right, right. So there was, there was literally, Google was just, just taken off at that time. So, you know, the idea of not having a yellow page ad in our, inside our industry was just crazy talk. And today it's a joke to even say those words. But <laughs> back in those days, it was the, the big guys in town, the, the million dollar players all had 
really large full page yellow page ads. So we, we stopped and we pivoted and we, we focused everything on digital marketing and we didn't know exactly where that was going to go, but it, it definitely worked out for us and it became uh, sort of a, a, a sort of a hallmark moment for us because it, it changed the rest of our life. I almost want to go back even further now. Every time you 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 bring me back into the to the present, it makes me want to go even <laughs> further back uh, because I'm I'm so fascinated by where you started. Uh, you've spoken a lot about like satisfying your soul, and I, and I love that because I, I I say to to young folks a lot, you know, do what sets your soul on fire. And when you first started, though, you said you were the one going in and cleaning the houses. Like you were the one with the mop in your hand. There weren't any maids yet. It was you, right? Right, right. It was it was so, one maid in a mop. Yeah. <laughs> it was one maid in a mop, right. So was was your, you know, what were you trying to satisfy your soul doing? I mean, did you want to be a cleaner or did you see this grander plan or like, you know, like what, what was going through your head when you decided to pick up that mop and, and go start this one local cleaning business? Yeah. So I, I had used the previous seven years before opening the original store in Florida, I had used those seven years to raise money and I'd saved money along the way and pitched pennies, had all these crazy side jobs and, just sacrificed a lot to have the opportunity to, to clean those homes. And so I eventually worked my way into a place where I'd saved $150,000, which was like, it's not a lot now, but it felt like just millions back in those I days. I think most people today <laughs> would say that's still a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it, you, you know, for a 20-something um, who started with nothing, it, it really felt like all the money in the world. Um, but at the same time, I was super conservative. And so I, and I knew that I was going to make a lot of mistakes and there was going to be some pain and there was going to be some money loss. And I didn't know how long it was going to take me to, to actually earn a profit. It turned out it was more than two years before I ever earned a profit and needed essentially all 150,000 of those dollar bills to pull it off. But, you know, so cleaning for me was somewhat necessity because my labor, my time was free. But I also felt like everything was a a, a test was an experiment. Like I said, it was an incubator for me. And I felt like I needed to be in the shoes of the folks who would perform this actual work so that I could relate to them later on. I, I did not come from money, but also wasn't, you know, a, a blue collar person, you know, so I'd never, I'd managed people prior to this, but I'd never managed a blue, blue collar employee. I come from a really small town in Southern Georgia. And so I could, you know, relate to folks that uh, are in that uh, world. But at the same time, I'd never, it had been a while since I've had to, to do that. And so I wanted to be in their shoes so that I could understand what, what made them tick and so forth. Um, and then on top of all that, I, you know, there was some just realities of our world. I was not the world's best manager early on. So we, we had some really ish, big issues with employee turnover. And as a result, someone had to go out and clean a home when Someone didn't show up to clean that home, and that person was usually me. Um, so there, there was there was some uh, want to, to do that, but there was also some need to do that early on. But it didn't it didn't last long. In fairness, I, I don't want to oversell myself in terms of hard work and sweat equity because uh, I was not the world's best house, house cleaner. That's not my strength. Sure. <laughs> well, I'm I'm curious. Uh, are you willing to share some of what your management failures were early on? Oh my gosh, no, this is, yeah, this is probably going to be more embarrassing than not. So 
I um, this this is a story that I've only told a couple of times because it's just so raw and so real, but it, it's true. So as big a vision as I've always had, I've always had this vision um, to build the nation's largest, fastest growing, most innovative residential cleaning company. Those words I scribbled on a piece of paper um, one of the first few days that we were open for business, and we still maintain that vision today. And so that vision has been so strong, and it's usually got through got me through so many tough moments and dark days. But there was one particular moment where we had mass uh, absences. Just people were not only not showing up, they were late and they were, you know, all sorts of craziness. Meanwhile, the customers were calling saying, where are you? And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I've got all these jobs to perform today and half my staff's here. And the previous day had been just as tough. And, you know, I've been in the office from six in the morning to midnight the day before. And here I am at 6 a.m. again, and it's starting all over again. And I forgot all about that vision during that one moment in time and totally overreacted. And I don't know exactly what I said, but there was a lot of emotion to it. And I told everyone to leave the office. I locked the door and I walked to my car and I was prepared to leave until I find, until it hit me as I looked in the mirror as I was hitting the reverse um, that I'm crazy right now and I needed to slow down and think about why I'm doing this. Why, why am I here in this morning? It's not just to survive this day, but it's to get me to a, another step in the right direction for this dream to, to come true down the road. And so I pulled back into the parking lot and walked back up to some stunned faces who had never seen me act that way and apologized and said, please act as if that never happened. And let's go back in and start the day. And no one ever talked about it again <laughs> until <Wow>. right now. <laughs> but, you know, I, I am not perfect. And I, I made a mistake on that particular morning and I learned from it and also learned sort of, I didn't really understand my role as a leader. Um, I felt that, um, I knew where I was going, but I had not done a good enough job communicating where we were going as a group. And those folks who weren't showing up for work weren't showing up for work because they didn't really feel like they were doing anything other than working. And so I needed to have people who believed and who wanted to follow the journey with me. And uh, from that moment, moment on, I, I started doing a better job with that. It sort of became this sort of duck, if you want to call it that, where on the surface – Things look like they're super smooth, but underneath the water, they're super crazy. Um, and that's sort of the role I sort of just took on from from that moment. And so, again, super raw and real, but uh, again, true nonetheless. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. I, I, I appreciate that. I think we all learn best from failure stories. Success stories are inspirational for about a second. And then we go on with our lives and go, yeah, but they're perfect. And I'm not. And look at all my problems. And and so I think hearing like I, you know, I I have what I call my favorite failure story, my personal favorite um, of all the failure stories that I have of my own career. So I appreciate you sharing that. I know it's difficult. Um, I know it's difficult to do. I'd like to ask about that perspective that you developed on leadership coming out coming out of that you talked about you had your own vision for what you wanted but you weren't communicating what we were doing you know as 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 a team as a group as a tribe uh to use some language from one of our mutual uh mutual friends what is it that you're able to do now as a result of that how do you communicate that shared uh shared value shared vision 
I'm, I'm, I'm crazy with it. So that's all I'll talk about. So if you met me at a cocktail party, I would tell you that, um, you know, not only my empire builder, but I'm building the, the nation's largest, fastest growing, most innovative residential cleaning service. <laughs> um, I tell that to strangers. I tell that to prospective job candidates. I tell it to franchise candidates. I tell those same things to vendors. Shortly after that crazy tirade where I um, told everyone to go home <laughs> that early morning, Thursday morning, that I can still remember it and see it in my head. Um, shortly after that, I'm not sure exactly when, but a few weeks after that, I had started talking to every again, prospective job candidate about why they were going to work for us and where we were going and how that could affect their life and what kind of opportunities were going to present themselves because of our growth and success. And yes, you were going to clean some homes and some dirty toilets, but it was going to be bigger than that if you wanted it to be. And so this this girl walks in one day and it was uh, late in the day and she had just, she's like literally had on a like a softball uniform. She was dirty. And so she said she had just finished her last softball practice of the day and she was an assistant coach at a local college and um, I don't know if they do it now but back in those days when you weren't actually playing the sport the coaches weren't paid and so she said I'm not going to get paid for the next couple of months and so I need to just do something until softball season kicks back up and I'll go back to that and I'm like oh okay and so she tells me a little bit about herself. She's got a business degree and, you know, she's got some entrepreneurship in her, in her background and her family. And I'm thinking, yeah, she's never going to coach softball again. I'm going to sell her over the next two months about how amazing her life's going to be because of, of our growth and our success. And so she heard me say that. And she said, that's just not going to happen, Ron. I'm not going to, I love softball. That's happening. You know, I'm going back. And so she cleaned homes for a few days and eventually a few weeks. And, I kept selling her on the idea of the future, and eventually, slowly but surely, she she agreed, and she since that day has never coached another game of softball. She is still with us 15 years later. Her life has been changed. She travels the work, the country. Um, she is one of the, the most trusted people in our organization, and when she walks inside our, an office, one of our franchise op, uh, offices, people instantly – um, gravitate toward her because they know that she's going to deliver some serious value. And again, most importantly, her life has changed because of our, our story. You spoke about how in the early days, one of the reasons you committed so hard to actually going in and doing the cleaning was that you knew in the future you wanted to be able to relate to um, you know, to your employees, right? There you are actually able to go, this is what my employees someday will be doing on a daily basis. And so I'm going to do it to discover everything I can about what they're going to go through. But it's not always possible to actually walk in their shoes. What do you do? Do you have any tips, any strategies, anything you've developed or, or recognized that has helped you connect with someone that you either don't understand or comes from such a different background or worldview than you when you can't actually literally be in their shoes? Yeah. So as we scaled this business model for the first several years, I literally walked in every shoe. And so not only did I clean a home, I acted as the salesperson. I acted as the personnel manager. I acted as the customer service rep. I was the logistics manager in terms of scheduling. I was the vendor, um, you know, connector. And so I did everything. And even as we started focusing on digital marketing, I was the SEO guy. I was the digital marketer and later on, you know, became, uh, you know, the, 
the systems guy when we started building out systems to you know start scaling the brand beyond the the the, the one store. But you know as as much success as I had with that and as much as I learned from that, it it doesn't parlay itself across every facet of every organization. And I learned that the hard way because as we started build, one of the things that I learned is that we needed. I felt that we needed our own software product that would provide both scheduling, uh, you know, op- you know, options with marketing solutions like a CRM with some you know, payment processing functions and within it, and lots of other bells and whistles too. And you know, I'd never written a piece of code prior to that, and still haven't today. But I felt like, you know, hey, I've done everything else. I can pull this off. And it hit me pretty quickly that that was a world that was completely foreign to me. And if I did not allow someone to do that um, without me doing it for them, it was going to fail. And so I had to, I had to do something that was really uncomfortable and that I'd never done prior to that. And that was to just step away and lead instead of do. Um, and that really taught me something because it's, it's really actually helped me because it's helped me sort of step away from everything and, you know, if you're if you're an entrepreneur of a small business that wants to grow into a large business, there's all these transitions that you have to encounter as a person. You know, you're you're not just the small business owner. You're now the CEO. And there the, those things require different things from me that I wasn't really prepared to to understand. But that experience with the software product really helped get me to a place where I could understand what my role needed to be again, as, as the leader. So, you know, I would encourage people to, to get their hands dirty as much as they can, but at the same time, I tell this to our franchise owners all the time. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually, you gotta, you gotta figure out what your strengths are and, and, and then focus 100% on those and utilize your efforts towards that strength, but then hire people to satisfy the weaknesses, you know, and that everybody's got them, no, but there's no perfect person out there lean into your strengths instead of, yeah, I, this is, uh, I, I want to highlight that for a second there, because I think this is really, really excellent, really important advice. And I think I know all my life growing up and all the way through school and for much of my adult life, I was hearing the opposite advice and I, I, and I, and which was, you know, you got to figure out what your weaknesses are and go and improve them. And I, I think this is bad advice. Uh, I, I think there's so many people in the world that are so good at so many different things. Why not Why not find the people who are good at the things that you're bad at and just leave them alone? Let them do that thing. Do, is, that, is that pretty much your, your guiding philosophy there? Yeah. So one of my mentors um, is Warren Buffett. And most people who are listening to this are going to think, well, of course he is. He's super wealthy, <laughs> but it really is not that part. That's so amazing to me. It's, there's a lot and I won't go into all the details cause I could, we could have a whole nother interview about Warren Buffett. Uh, but believe it or not to this day, to this day, he still, he still reports to his office and, um, closes the door and he just reads all day. And the reason he's reading is he's, he's learning. He's trying to, to learn what's next. He's just in his late eighties and he's still learning what's next. But He's never, ever going to be the day-to-day operations manager, and he's never going to be the personnel manager, and he's never even going to be the salesperson. That's that's not what his strength is. His strength is letting other people do that um, for them, and, and his job is to allocate the capital. And so it's almost sort of like 
Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm so bad at a lot of things. Like I, my wife will tell you, I can't fix anything around our house. I'm not a handyman. Oh my man. gosh. <laughs> Neither can I. When my wife hears this, she's going to laugh so hard. That's me. That's me. So, so there's these like dozens and dozens of things that people could ramble off pretty quickly about how poor I am. But the one thing that I've, I think proven that I'm pretty good at is building a brand and leading that organization. And so why try to be great at all these other things whenever that's what I'm good at? And so that's what I've always, you know, focused on is just doing what I'm good at, you know, and and it's not just been something that, you know, has made me happy, but it's also allowed for there to be other success around me because it's created opportunities for other people to bring their strengths to the business and, and, and change their life as well. And I'm just going to completely pivot. What do you think of that show that was on a few years ago, Undercover Boss? <laughs> well, you know, if you want a candid answer, um, it's... I would love a <laughs> candid answer completely on the record. <laughs> so, so I would love it for our branding. And I've always had this sort of... Um, you know, hope that at some point that maybe we could have even been on it. But the reality is we've got 500 employees in our brand now. 500 people work for two maids in a month now, which is wow. just crazy to say out loud. But the reality is I would, I don't, I think all 500 know who I am. So I, I, I don't, huh. it, it, the, what was interesting to me was I know there was some Hollywood production to it and there was disguises and all that other stuff. But mm-hmm. the fact that they could walk into one of their stores and still, even with the disguise, not be identified, it just was, that, that wouldn't work in our system. You know, people know who I am. I'm, I'm very involved and I, I love it, you know, so I don't want to be disconnected from it. I'm not going to use this afternoon to go play golf. I'm going to be working for the business and our franchise owners. So they're going to know me. They're going to hear my voice, disguise or not, and, and know that it's <laughs> the guy from Birmingham. <laughs> so so it, it wouldn't work for you, but uh, when you were, did you enjoy it when you oh were watching God. the yeah, show? I loved it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So any, the, there's a couple of shows. I, that is a, is a great one. The Prophet on CNBC, if you want a shameless plug there, it's, was, is a great one as well because it's, it's X's and O's. It's not just Hollywood, you know, so it, it, and it, it's very educational beyond just entertaining. So, but both of those were really I, I cool. I haven't, for me. I haven't seen that. Do you, uh, you said, uh, did you have a role? Did you have a role in that? No, I wanted to, and I, I really stalked Marcus Lamonis, who is uh, the the <laughs> guy. You said shameless plug. So, yeah, why he, did you say that? Well, I shouldn't. I guess it's not shameless, but it's <laughs> it's needless to say, it's still a plug. But I, um, I, I certainly did stalk Marcus Lamonis, who's the host of that show. He, he, he goes in and he buys these businesses and he partners with people that are have struggling organizations and he, and he changes them and everyone, everyone in true Hollywood style works out, you know, but of course, they do. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it's not just entertaining, like I said earlier, but very, very informative as well. And so both of those were really fun to watch as an entrepreneur. There's, a, there's only so many things on TV that a, a, a business geek wants to watch. And those are, those are two you definitely would want to. Maybe Shark Tank would be the, right. the other one. I've, I've always been curious how how real entrepreneurs feel about not not that all the folks who go on that show aren't real entrepreneurs, but I, I always feel about how you know wonder how guys like you and 
you know, the, you know, folks out there have done that. Um, we, we just listen to podcasts. It. We listen to you. So that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I, I have one more, one more question before we get to your chance encounter story. Cause we actually, you've told oh, so many excellent stories. I, I don't even feel the need to ask for another specific one, but I know you've got one in mind. So I want to make sure I give you a chance, uh, to tell that before I get to that, while we're on the track of entrepreneurs, uh, what are the common misconceptions or maybe the number one kind of misconception about being an entrepreneur? So I I think probably the biggest is in today's app-based fast-track society where an entrepreneur makes money in six weeks or worst case, six months, that that's that's the journey. You know, I, I hear all the time where, you know, someone build an app and not even a year later, these guys are you know, multimillionaires and that's what everyone's chasing now. And I get it. I mean, I understand that we, we have our own technology solutions that involve, um, you know, uh, apps and, and so forth. And, and they help automate our lives and I get it. And there's, there's an opportunity there. Um, but gone are the days where you have the 16 year old stories and journeys like my, my own story. And it's just, I've, I've, it makes me a little nervous. And so I, I, I think that every entrepreneur needs to really look in the mirror and say, am I ready for this? Because more often than not, for every six-month success story, there's uh, several thousand 16-year stories, success stories. And so I, I think people need to be prepared for what that journey is going to require. It's going to re- require not just capital, but serious personal sacrifice. You know, it's going to be hard to have relationships, it's gonna, and, and if maybe you're lucky to find that person that really can live with an, an entrepreneur, but not everyone can. Um, it's gonna take sacrifice in terms of um, your social life. There's probably not gonna be a whole lot of that. Um, I find myself oftentimes reading at the craziest times, maybe two o'clock in the morning, because I'm the crazy entrepreneur. Um, and you know, most importantly, whatever timeline you have you know, prepared, whatever business plan you've put together. And it says it's going to take me a year to make a profit or whatever it says. I'd say triple it, you know, not even double it, triple it, because it's probably going to take you three years to pull that off. And um, if you're ready for that, if you're ready for that challenge, the the end goal is great. You know, it's it's amazing. And again, like I said, when we first started talking, I'm living a dream come true right now. But if you had talked to me the first year or two into this business, no one would have thought this was a dream come true. It was more like a nightmare because there was so much pain involved during those early days. Do you believe in luck? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course I do, but not to the extent that it's all because of luck. Uh, I think you got to be in the right place at the right time. I've been I know I've been lucky. Um, I've been lucky to find the right people, the right talent to to work with. Um, I've been lucky to make bad decisions and they didn't kill the business. Uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've been lucky, but I, I, I couldn't have, I couldn't utilize the proceeds from the, from that luck if hard work wasn't also there, you know? So I, I think they kind of need to go hand in hand. Yeah, I, I think, I, I, I think so too. And I, I'm struck by how often every really successful, high achieving person I know and talk to on a regular basis, you know, when I ask them, about their success. They'll tell me all about the hard work and the persistence and all that stuff, right? Just like we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes or so. And then as soon as I go, you know, do you believe in luck? Have you been lucky? They always go, oh yeah, tons of it. So much luck. It's unbelievable, right? <laughs> and so I'm always I, I'm always just a little curious about 
Do you have any strategies or any thoughts about putting yourself in the best possible position to be lucky? Because you said it's the right place at the right time, but you also said that um, you had to have taken advantage and been ready to to really make the most of those those opportunities. Sure. What? Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of go way back in the day. And so if you remember, we opened our original store down in Pensacola, Florida, which is on the Gulf Coast of uh, Mexico there. And it's beautiful. And you got all the white, beautiful, sandy beaches and all that good stuff. Right. But about this time of year, there's always a threat of a hurricane. And so I had never experienced that before, you know, other than watching it on the Weather Channel. I never really understood the impact of a hurricane beyond the actual landfall after after the TV cameras take off. I didn't know what happened after that, but I lived that. In Pensacola, we had three major hurricanes that hit us over a 13-month time frame, and uh, clearly, you know, on the impact of the storm on its on, on on landfall was tough. But the the tougher situations were after after it left. You know, when the sun was back, and you know, the economy was destroyed, and jobs were lost, and homes were even lost. And so we dealt with three of those and literally in 13 months. And so I had um, always, again, embodied the life of Warren Buffett and, and really felt like I needed to be frugal and, you know, in other words, very conservative and had sort of this pot to, of savings that would protect us in time of need, whatever that time of need would be. Well, it turned out to be thir- 13 months of really, really tough times because the economy just couldn't recover with each of those sort of body blows and most of our competitors who prior to the storms were not just competitors, but these were like the giants in the local residential cleaning industry. They were the ones I wanted to be disappeared. They couldn't survive because there was no work, no employees, no homes, um, and in a lot of cases, no infrastructure. And so not only were we able to survive, but we were able to actually prosper because the money that I had saved prior to that had allowed us an opportunity to um, to to pay people during during the the loss of income periods that we sustained, and so, you know, I look at that, and there's a, one person could look at that in terms of bad luck, like oh that stinks, three hurricanes in 13 months, um, lost tons and tons of customers, uh, that's terrible luck. But the other side of that is actually very fortunate because it really it eliminated a lot of our competitors. It drew a lot of their talent to us because we were the only game in town. Um, and then, you know, none of that would have happened if I hadn't have had this philosophy that we needed to save for a rainy day. And so I think hard work and luck all sort of combined there to, to help us get through that. Let's get to your your story. The whole purpose of this show the, is to chat about uh, things that we've been dancing around the whole time, chance encounters, the ripple effect that our daily interactions have if we're open to it, if we show up with empathy and generosity. Um, do you have a, a, a specific story of a chance encounter that was really meaningful to you in oh, some way? Absolutely. So oh, uh, I, I think that I maybe hopefully shared this with you um, prior so prior to franchising, or just as we were set to begin franchising, I, you know, I mentioned earlier about this trip down I-10 where I toured all these local cleaning services. It worked out well for me, so I said, "Hey, I'm going to do the same thing." And so I toured all, all these franchise organizations across the country and just observed their day-to-day operations. And uh, along the way, one of the things I learned is I needed to go to this 
big industry conference. And so it's in Vegas like they all are. And so I'm out in Vegas and um, sitting in a, you know, just a lobby and waiting on a seminar to begin or something. And uh, across the table from me is um, this guy named Fred, Fred DeLuca turns out to be his name. And I didn't know who he was at the time. You may not know who he is even right now, but um, he asked me, what are you doing here? What's your deal? And I told him I was super proud because I had 12 corporate stores. I'm the founder and all the things I've been telling you in this interview, I told him and I was sort of bragging. And so I said, so who are you, Mr. Fred? And Fred says, well, I'm the founder and CEO of this little company called Subway. And uh, at that time, he had um, 42,000 locations across the world. <laughs> and so it was uh, embarrassing. Um, but in, again, true entrepreneur style, it, it didn't stop me from just using that opportunity to just engage as much as I could. I, I didn't know how much time I would have with him, but I knew I was going to use every second that I could. And so for the next hour or so. I just ditched the seminar and just talked to Fred DeLuca for the next hour. And um, not only did we did I learn a lot in that short 60 minutes, but we became friends I and mean, he became a mentor to me. And eventually we went on to not just um, you know, talk during those 60 minutes, but we talked on a regular basis um, uh, all the time, you know, all the way leading up really to his death, uh, which occurred just a couple of years ago. And, Sorry uh, to hear you know, that. yeah, it was, it was a tough, tough one um, because that's the guy I want to be, you know, like I'm, that's my dream come true is to be the Fred DeLuca of the residential cleaning world. And so, um, when he passed, it, it was also very real to me because it, there's a reality to our own lives that it's bigger than anything we accomplished while we we're here on earth. And so, um, you know, for, it, it was, um, it was crazy, just circumstances. And you talk about luck, there couldn't have been a luck, a luckier place on earth for me at that time to be sitting at that particular table with Fred DeLuca for who, whatever reason was by himself sitting there you know? and um, it learned so much. Uh, I talk about what I've learned from our interactions to our franchisees all the time. This is a guy who in the franchising industry is considered the kingpin. Like he's the, he is franchising. When you think franchising, you think subway. And so what was always so interesting, interesting to me is that no matter how accomplished and successful I and everyone else thinks he is and was, he thought that he'd made a lot of mistakes and he wanted others to learn from his mistakes. And I'm thinking, my gosh, if you've made mistakes, sign me up because you know, that's you're 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 I'd like uh, to make some of those. mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my one big chance encounter. I've got others, you know, but that was one that really is uh, really fun to talk about because it relates directly to our own industry. You've spoken a lot about mentors in, uh, you know, in this conversation, talking about Warren Buffett, who I think you had said you, you never actually met him, but you, you thought of him as a mentor and uh, talking about Fred DeLuca. And you've mentioned it a few other times. I get asked a lot, how do you get a mentor? And I don't have a good answer for that because every time I've had a mentor and every time I've mentored someone, it's been the result of a pure chance encounter. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, it's so I'm a. You know, for me, it's always been actually pretty easy. I mean, I, I have no problem going up to someone, whether it's physically or virtually, and trying to introduce myself and be vulnerable. You know, did I say that right? Vulnerable. <laughs> um, so I, I, I just always ask questions, you know, and people that have accomplished things in life 
um, tend to want to talk about those those accomplishments. And, you know, it goes both ways. People come to me all the time as well, whether it's our franchise owners or aspiring entrepreneurs or current entrepreneurs of other businesses. They they want to know, what did you do? Because I want to do the same thing you've done. And so I I've tried to give back and it's not work to me. It's fun. I love talking about it. Nobody's paying me to do it. It's just something I enjoy doing it. Um, and so I feel like the same thing applies to other people. So whatever you want to do in life, and there's somebody that's already carved that path. Man, it's 2019. Nobody's first to market anymore. So somebody's done it. And so why not try to find that person? And the fact that it is 2019 and that we're all digitally connected, how 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 can you stop yourself from not trying to find that person and just getting to know them? And maybe they say, no, I don't have time for you. Maybe they don't. Um, but if you ask 100 people and, and one of those guys does reach out to you, you've got one person that can really serve an important role, maybe for the rest of your life. So why not? You know, it just to me, there's no failure in trying. What would you recommend to somebody if uh, as the best possible way, if they're reaching out to someone that, you know, is they're hoping will be a mentor or will even just chat with them. You know, I'm sure you get a million requests for, Hey, can I pick your brain over a cup of coffee? And as much as you want to help, you just can't possibly say yes to every one of those requests and still do what you need to do for your professional life, your personal life. Um, what is it that makes you willing to say yes to somebody? So, so it, it's, it's been given to me, you know, people, whether it's, Warren Buffett, again, I've never met him, but I feel like I, he's a family member at this point because I've learned his words have been not just inspirational to me, but educational. And so I feel like he's given me um, more than I could ever give him back. And same with Fred DeLuca, the, the same for a hundred other people. And so it's not fair. It's not right um, for me not to also want to give back. And so it's... It's something that is just inside of me, I guess, that it's not that um, it doesn't feel like work. When someone talks to me about a movie, it feels like work because um, I don't have time. But if someone wants to talk to me about marketing or sales or leadership or whatever it is to do with business, I will hold up and talk all day with them about it because it, it, it makes me happy and I hope it makes them happy. So. Um, I cannot keep up with all the requests. You're right. I mean, sure. every day, whether it's LinkedIn or email, still don't know how, how everyone gets your email nowadays, but, um, you, you <laughs> nothing's, know, you, nothing's a secret. I, 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 I listen, I, I'm a magician. Let me tell you something. Nothing's a secret, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so there are certainly times when, when, and, and in our case, a lot of the information that I provide people pay us for, you know, so if someone wants, and, and this happens often, if someone wants to know how to scale their cleaning business, that's one that's a hard no because our franchisees deserve that intellectual capital more than they do. Um, but if someone wants to talk about high level things like, you know, chasing their dream or how to build and document a system, um, you know, I have no problem talking about that with people and, and do on a regular basis. For me, just the few times in my life that I reached out to one of my heroes, just the fact that they responded at all. All right. was enough to change my opinion of myself, the way I saw myself, which makes you have more confidence and walk through the world a little bit differently. So 
Before we wrap this up with a final question, uh, where should folks go go find you, go find your work? Where do you want them to go? What do you want them to do right now after they listen to my outro? Stay for my outro. And, then, <laughs> and then where do you want them to go? I'm an empire builder. And if you want to build your own empire, you, you may be thinking it's through an app. Maybe it's through something a lot sexier than cleaning a home. Um, but there's so much demand out there for our services, and somebody's got to provide that supply. And that company is us. It's Two Maids and a Mop. And we can't do it by ourselves. We need other people to partner with us and uh, to eventually accomplish our goal, which is to become the largest, fastest growing, most innovative residential cleaning company in America. And so if you want to be a franchise partner with us, if you want to be our business partner um, and accomplish your own empire and build your own empire, then the easiest thing to do is to reach out to us and the uh, to do that, just go to twomatesfranchise.com. On that site, you're going to learn a lot about the investment, what the costs are, what the expectations are, what the company history is, and then what your life may look like after you open the business. And so just visit twomatesfranchise.com. There's a quick questionnaire in there to fill out. All we need is your name and number, and we'll call you back, and our sales team will, will kind of put you through this process validating who you are and making sure that you want to own a cleaning business because everyone wants to make money, but not everyone wants to own a cleaning business to make money. And so we hope to, we hope to hear from some folks out there because we, we want people that have vision. We want people that have a why and uh, you know, we want to be their business partners. That's great. We'll make sure that we have all that in the show notes on uh, you know, wherever you're, wherever they're listening and on the website and all that uh, stuff. We'll have all the links in there. Ron, I got a final question for you, if that works. Suppose you hadn't caught any of those lucky breaks, and after you went through that 150K, it just, it didn't work. You were out of money, and it didn't work, and there was no way to push forward. What would you be doing today? <laughs> Gosh, that's such a good question, because my identity is so wrapped up in Two Maids and a Mop, that's it's all I can see myself doing now. Um I I would be doing I hate to say this because this is such a cop out but I I would be in some form of entrepreneurship I I just I want to satisfy my soul and so the the thing that does that more than anything else that I've, that I've that I've ever encountered is is starting and building a business it's just fun to me and I love it. And so maybe it would have been a different business. Maybe I would have even failed, um, you know, in two maids and a mob, but I, I would have not given up. That's that's my MO. And I'm not I'm not the fastest runner in so, you know, so-called runner. And we don't know how to win the sprints around here. But, man, I can outlast anyone. And so I would have probably given it another try with another business. Um, I wouldn't I can never, ever see myself in corporate America that just makes me super sad. So that's a, probably way too easy of an answer, but it's, it's, I think it's true. Not necessarily too easy of an answer. We think about parallel universes and it, it sounds like to me that there's only, that there's only one universe in the world for you. And that's the one that you're in right now. I, I believe so. Uh, and who would have thought that cleaning dirty toilets would have been that answer, but it, it's, it has for me. <laughs> Before you go, where did the name come from? Who came up with it? Uh, so I did come up with it myself, and it was uh, again. This is going to make me sound so old, uh, but I, <laughs> I, 
pulled out a yellow page um, directory in Seattle, Washington. I don't know if this still exists, but there was a two maids in a mop open in Seattle, Washington, and I love the name. I checked the federal trademark registry. It was not registered. I called the guys in Seattle and I said, hey, can I use this in Pensacola, Florida? And they said, we don't care. Sounds good to me. We opened in Pensacola, Florida. We registered the trademark, and I don't know what happened in Seattle. <laughs> oh man, that's that is very those somewhere out there. Someone's kicking themselves right now. <laughs> I should have charged them. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, Ron. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think um, this was uh, very unique. Uh, in the two seasons of the show so far, I, I haven't had a conversation quite this uh, business oriented, tactical about kind of, you know, mindset and the actual strategies that go into building businesses. So I, I appreciate everything you were willing to share. And uh, yeah, I uh, I hope that uh, we cross paths many more times. I believe we will. It was, it was an honor to be here and I enjoyed every second of it. Before you grab a plunger and start building your empire, here are a few takeaways from this episode. First, it's possible we put too high a premium on originality. In 2019, the path has been laid, and you'll probably never be the first to do anything. Instead of getting stuck because your big idea isn't new, prove your worth by seeing it through. Second, be your own biggest fan. Hone your message and share it relentlessly. If you don't believe in your vision, why should we? And finally, good things come to those who ask. Seek out folks who've been there and done that. Ask generously about their success and experiences and demonstrate genuine interest. You just might find a mentor in the lobby of a hotel. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast on onenewperson.com via your favorite streaming service like Apple, Google, or Spotify. If you found value in this or any episode, share it with your friends, family, and colleagues on social media. And remember to use hashtag onenewperson, all spelled out, so we can find you and thank you. I'm Brian Miller. This is One New Person, and we'll see you next time.